I decided to start a series of messages on Sunday night related to the Bible, and uh, the first message had to do with why why we need the Bible. Uh, the next message had to do with taking time for truth, and uh, that's kind of where we left off in that regards, and uh, going on from there, I'm not exactly sure what order uh, that I plan to bring the messages in, but some of the things that we'll be talking about is why I believe the Bible. You know, the, the Bible itself tells us that we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within us. And there are a lot of folks out there wondering, wh why do we believe the Bible? Well, we're going to talk about that, and there are several good reasons, and uh, we'll get to that probably the week after next, I would say, something like that. Uh, we'll have a, another message uh, concerning the benefits of the Bible. We'll talk about the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, we'll talk about the development of the Bible down through the years, and we're going to get more specific in that one week. We'll take an entire week talking about uh, the King James Version itself. We might take more than a week, but we'll focus in on that and go into great detail as to why we prefer that translation. Um, I was going to start tonight with a message entitled, Why or How to Study the Bible. And I've really been encouraged already by the response because I know that many have have told me they've committed themselves to studying God's Word. And in fact, uh, someone asked, I believe it was just last week, said, would you, have a, uh, would you have a lesson on how to study the Bible? You know, I want to study the Bible and, you know, I, I, you know, I can read the Bible, but, you know, how to study the Bible. And so I'd intended to do that tonight, and uh, instead, I think I'll do that, Lord willing, next week, because tonight I want to speak to you uh, about something else that I think needs to, needs to be introduced into this series, and this is the best time to do it. And uh, I guess you could call the title of the message, Does God Speak Today? Does God Speak Today? Today, Now, understand that in this message tonight, and in most of the messages through this series, uh, our studies will be about the Bible, not Bible studies. It's very important that you understand that. Uh, tonight, we're not going to have a Bible study except about, about 10% of what I have to say at the very end will be just a very, very brief Bible study. But the rest of it is going to be study about the Bible. And, and it's important that we do that, by the way. We live in a day and age where it's common to hear people say, God told me. Uh, God told me to do this and God told me to do that. And... Uh, uh, they try to justify whatever they say or whatever they do by the fact that, well, the Lord told me. I, I've, I've had young couples, uh, not just young couples, I've had others, you know, tell, uh, tell me that God told them that I ought to marry this person. 
even though I can take the Bible and prove to them from the Bible, no, you shouldn't marry that person. Uh, You know, I don't know what it is you think you're hearing, but it's not God, you know. Uh, Several years ago, in fact, it was out in the Porter area, and I I was making a a visit and uh, knocked on the door and engaged in conversation with uh, a man and his wife there, and they were sort of semi-farmers, I guess you'd say. They had some pigs, and they had some cows, and they had some chickens and so forth. And so during the course of the conversation, they told me, said, you're not like such and such preacher. They named the fellow and the church that he pastored right there in that area, and I said, no, not, we're, we're, not, we're not like him at all. We don't believe some of the things that they believe there. And he, I said, why? And he said, well, he stopped here one day, got out of his car, knocked on the door, and told, told us that God had told him to stop and to tell us that, they were to, that we were to give him one of our pigs out there. And uh, so their response, their wise response was, well, God must have forgot to tell me because I haven't heard about it. That's a pretty good response, you know. And God works on both ends. And uh, But I can't imagine a preacher having the audacity to literally stop and say, you know, uh, God told me to... That, that you're supposed to give me one of the pigs. Kind of like I remember Brother Turk talking about a woman came into the church back when he was pastoring in Merriam, Kansas, many, many years ago. And uh, somebody he had never met, the woman, came in. She was a guest that morning and said uh, God had sent her there. And, uh, and he you know, he was being gracious. said, well, we're sh- certainly glad that you came. She said, yeah. He t- told me to tell you that I'm I'm supposed to play the piano for you folks. <laughs> So that stuff happens. It even happened to Bev whenever we first, uh, I'll be careful and not go into a lot of detail, but whenever whenever we first moved into this building, we uh, we, we had someone tell Bev that God had sent her here to be her assistant and so on and so forth. And so, uh, so it happens all of the time. And, uh, and we need to understand what is meant when we talk about, well, God told me this and God told me that. I think, I think most everybody here realizes that various cults, I know some people wouldn't call them cults, but anything that you know is contrary to the Word of God is classified as a cult as far as I'm concerned. And they have writings that they claim were inspired by God. You know, it's a well-known fact that the Catholics do. They have the Apocrypha in, you know, in what they call the Bible. In addition to that, they put their traditions above the Scriptures. The Charismatics, of course, on the other hand, they claim that God speaks directly through them. And uh, many of them claim to be apostles and they claim to be prophets and that God is giving them divine revelations. And, you know, and then with the Catholics, they say, well, God speaks to us through the Pope. So I want to talk to you about three things tonight. First of all, the confusion 
of all of this. And secondly, we want to talk about the correction and then the conclusion or or the, the, the maybe the cure for what's going on here. When we talk about the confusion, there are two things I want to say about that. Number one, it's a very sensitive matter because getting this people to see the problem, to recognize it as a problem, is very difficult for at least three reasons. Number one, and this is used against us all of the time, and that is that, you know, whenever we try to point out the air of what they believe, we are accused of unfairly criticizing them. Our denouncement of their false doctrine is perceived as an attack on them and their family. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote an article entitled, Stop Calling Everything Hate. And I, I wish some way I could get that message across to the world because, you know, we denounce some particular sin and 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 automatically, even on national news, we're... We're labeled as a hate-filled people, and that's not true at all. So, you know, when you're dealing with this, it's so sensitive because uh, the fact sometimes, you know, that means that grandma and grandpa or their parents are wrong because a lot of folks, you know, what they believe is what's been handed down to them, uh, you know, by their grandparents and uh for somebody to get up and to say, well, this is, that's all wrong, it's, it's, it's an insult to them. They take it personal. In his book, uh, The Charismatic Chaos, this was by John MacArthur, Jr. I don't agree with a lot of things that John MacArthur says, but if you want to study in regards to the charismatic movement, this would be a, I would recommend this book for, I think, anyone. And, uh, and I want to read to you a quote that he made. It's, he says, It seems strange, however, that the very ones you accuse us of being unkind and unchristian are often the most harsh. It seems ironic that critics of charismatic extremism are so frequently scolded for being unloving and decisive. Decisive. And then he goes on to say, Listen to these comments by charismatic Benny Hinn. <laughs> well, that, that enough said just the mention of his name. Here's what he said. Somebody's attacking me because of something I'm teaching. Let me tell you something, brother. You watch it. You know I've looked for one verse in the Bible. I just can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like them, kill them. I really wish I could find it. You stink. Frankly, that's the way I think about it. Sometimes I wish God will give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'll blow your head off. That was at the praise-a-thon broadcast on the Trinity Broadcast Network. Wow. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, that's not fair to just, you know, blast the Trinity Broadcast Network like that because maybe, you know, he got just a little rambunctious and said some things they wouldn't agree with. Well, let's listen to Paul Crouch. He's the guy that's the head of that network, and uh, he's certainly no more charitable than Benny Hinn. He said concerning his critics, quote, 
I think they're damned and on their way to hell, and I don't think there's any redemption for them. I say to hell with you, get out of my life. Get out of the way. I want to say to all of you scribes, Pharisee, heresy hunters, all of you that are going around picking little bits of doctrinal air out of everybody's eyes, get out of God's way. Quit blocking God's bridges or God's going to shoot you if you don't. Get out of my life. I don't even want to talk to you or hear you. I don't want to see your ugly face. Get out of my face in Jesus' name. <laughs> wow. What what more can you say? And by the way, I could say a lot more. This could go on and on and on and on. But that's enough to make my point. The same people that accuse us of being so unkind are some of the most intolerant people on the face of the earth and mean-spirited. But believe me, folks, listen, I've... I, I, I was raised right in the middle of all of this. My, my grandma was a Pentecostal holiness, and I was born and raised in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, that's, that's the international headquarters, not only of the Pentecostals, but the Assemblies of God. I was raised right there. Uh, you know, I, I, I know how it is to try to, to argue with those people. I remember shortly after I surrendered to preach, we had a Another fellow, a young man there in the church that had surrendered to preach, and he was going to Baptist Bible College. And there was one of these one of these famous evangelists, Pentecostal evangelists, was holding a big meeting in town, and we we decided that we were going to uh, go there just to kind of see what was going on. You know, we somebody must have told him we were there because the first thing he did whenever he got up. He asked a few questions, getting people to raise their hand. And, of course, the questions he asked were questions we couldn't raise our hand to. But then he started out on this tirade about some of you need to get up and leave here right now. You came here with bad intention. I got to thinking, maybe he is a prophet. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> he hit the nail on the head and... Uh, and, uh, but boy, he was just giving us down the road for, you know, for e even be there. And so that could go on and on. But there's another reason it's difficult in dealing with this, with this confusion. And that's because a lot of times heirs are very appealing. By that, I mean that many people embrace false doctrine simply because that's what they want to believe. In other words, it fits in with their lifestyle. Maybe they were raised in, in, you know, in a, in a fundamental church and, 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 you know, they, they didn't follow what mom and dad taught or the church taught and they got bitter and got involved in sin and living a different lifestyle. And so there, there's some new church in town now. They, you know, put their ads in the paper as they're prone to do and, uh, and boy, they just let it be publicly known. Hey, come on over. We will accept your lifestyle. That's not a problem with us whatsoever. And so because of that, it makes the air appealing to those people. Hey, we, we can, we can go to that church and the, the things that we want to do. Let me tell you right now, you, you can find a church, a so-called church by name anyway, somewhere that will be in agreement with whatever you want to do. 
I, I mean, whenever we bought the building there in Ludlow, Kentucky, and changed locations, man, I mean, they had a bingo hall there, and the beer bottles, I, we were forever getting rid of beer bottles in there, because, it, I, I mean, you, you didn't know whether you was in a honky-tonk or what, and, uh, you know, they just fit in with the lifestyle, so it makes it difficult for, you know, to deal with people that are involved in these heirs. But there's another reason, and that is this. And it gets down to what we've been talking about and the reason for these messages, and that is because people simply do not study the Bible. Oh, I know that you do, but a lot of people, most people, most church members do not really study the Bible. And... Um, let me tell you, if that's true of people in Baptist churches, you've got to know that it's even more true of people in other churches. Multitudes sit in their pews every week, and they just soak up whatever the preacher says, but they never examine the Bible for themselves. And, you know, that's like playing with fire. That's why I've often said, don't ever believe anything just because I say that it's true. Now, hopefully what I say will be true, but that shouldn't be the basis for you for you believing it. I can remember talking to a person, you know, one time years ago, talking about, you know, what they believe in their statement. I believe, I believe what our preacher believes. Well, you know, that's well and good if what the preacher believes is right. I'd whole lot rather have somebody say, well, I believe what the Bible says, you know. That's the standard for everything. So this is a sensitive matter, but it's an extremely serious matter also because there are those that say that God gives them divine revelations and uh, regardless of how unscriptural and how outrageous their claims are, the sad thing is there will be somebody that will believe them. Uh, you think about all those people that followed Jim Jones, for example. That's, and that's just one example, you know. And so regardless of what you say, and I've often said, it doesn't make any difference. If you get out here on a soapbox on a street corner and stand up there and scream loud enough, long enough, you can get a following of people. It doesn't make any difference what your message is. I'll guarantee you there will be somebody that will see your enthusiasm and, and they'll, they'll start following you. They'll think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know. Boy, just look at his boldness and his zeal and what have you for this, you see. But the heirs of people need to be exposed because why? Well, because people are deceived and they're hurt. Some people are hurt physically. You say, well, how could that happen? Well, they're hurt physically, and whenever, they, whenever the, the preacher says, you need to throw all your medicine away. Yeah, you got high blood pressure? Oh, God can heal that. You, you've, got, you've got to demonstrate your faith. Just throw your blood pressure medicine away. You're a diabetic? Oh, get rid of that insulin. You don't need that. 
Listen, I'm telling you, there are preachers that are preaching that stuff, and there are people that have been hurt. There are people that have died as a result of listening to that nonsense. And little children that were not allowed to get vaccinations. And I, I, look, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all of these vaccinations, I'm not an expert in that. I'm not telling you what you ought to do in that regards. But I'm telling you, you better take care of your kids. And a lot of times, in certain cases, vaccinations can be extremely helpful and I'm just going to leave it there but a lot of times people have said I'm not going to do that because it's contrary to what our church or our preacher believes others have been hurt financially because they were told to give their money away. I'm talking about elderly people on fixed incomes, and they listened to a certain preacher, and he said, you know, that God wants to prosper you, God will prosper you, but you've got to, you've got to give some seed faith. You've got to demonstrate the fact that you're trusting God, and we happen to have a program going on this month if you'll send in, you know, if you'll send in X amount of dollars, we'll send you a prayer cloth or something. An old rag, mind you, a piece of cloth, and uh, that'll be your way of demonstrating your faith in God. And, and, and you can drive a Cadillac like I do, or you can live in a mansion like I do, you see. And there are people on fixed incomes that have, that have bankrupt themselves as a result of this. Besides that, there are people that have literally died by that. I mean, I know of a case, and in fact, I know of more than one, but one case in Cincinnati when we lived there, this fellow drowned because God told him that he could walk on water. Well, he can't walk on the water in the Ohio River, evidently, because he drowned trying. Really? Somebody, somebody put it in his mind that, you know, that God communicated to us like that. Now, here's the kind of the bottom line of this part. If these false teachers are right, then we don't know what is right. Because one claim becomes just as valid as another. Does that make sense? If they're right that God gives these additional revelations and so forth, and He gives you one and me one, after all, we, we, we don't have a clue who's right and who's wrong because everybody's got their own opinion and everybody ends up doing what is right in their own sight, you see. So surely, you know, I can say this without being mean-spirited or anything else. I'm not, I'm not attacking any particular denominations or anything. I'm just saying there's a lot of confusion about this matter of how God speaks to us. Well, that brings us down to this matter as to the cure in regards to, you know, uh, what we're going to do about it, how we're going to deal with this issue. Well, the first thing we have to do is separate fiction from fact. Uh, you know, it's, it's really in some ways easy enough to do because in some cases the claims of these false teachers have been proven to be false. There was a fellow of the name of Dr. William Nolan. William Nolan decided that he was going to he was going to disprove the claims of Catherine Coleman. Now, I know that 
our young people here never even heard of Catherine Coleman, but she had started her own brand of religion and made all kinds of outrageous claims, and you would think nobody nobody would even follow her. But, I mean, she had thousands, maybe millions of people across America that thought she was just wonderful, that she was God's spokesman, you see. And uh, he set out and and proved that her claims were fraudulous. I mean, proved it. The evidence was there, and yet those people continued to believe whatever she said. There was another fellow. He was known as the Amazing Randy. His name was James Randy. He was a professional uh, uh, magician, and so knowing all of the tricks of the trade, he set out to, to expose the charismatics' claims of receiving these revelations from God. I'm, you know, if you've ever watched any of that stuff, you kind of know how it works. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I'm, I'm getting the sense God's telling me there's somebody here by the name of, uh, let's see, it starts with an A, uh, A, 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 A. You, let me tell you, God doesn't stutter. Uh, it's always amazed me that they have to go through that process. But anyway, he said this was 1986. And again, those up in the Cincinnati area and actually all across America in some ways, they've heard of this fellow named uh, Peter Popoff. He was a charismatic preacher and uh, claimed to have these divine revelations. This guy proved that that what he was doing, he had a bug in his ear and his wife was feeding him information and he was repeating what she was reading off of cards, information that she had discovered about certain people. You know, she found out that, you know, that, uh, that Bill and Alice Smith was going to be in the service tonight, and they were, uh, you know, they were from Little Rock, Arkansas, and so she's feeding him all of this information, and he is pretending that God's giving that information. Now, unless his wife was God, you know, there's something wrong with that picture, and I'm quite certain his wife wasn't God, you know, to start with, but Again, again, you would think, okay, that's enough, you know. And this is just one case. You, you think, boy, that fellow would be through. Nobody's going to listen to him. Nobody's going to follow him. But they keep doing it. So we have to separate the fact from the fiction. And uh, it's quite obvious that many of the things that they say and the things that they do conflict with the Word of God. I, I, you know, I could say, how many examples do you want? Literally scores of books have been written revealing the heirs of these people. And yet people go right on, right down that same path of destruction. And I use that word destruction intentionally. You know, we can be destroyed in several different ways, but let me show you how serious this is when it comes to claiming that God is speaking through you you, you know, you go back to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and you learn there that those false prophets were to be executed. Think about that. That's how serious this was in God's sight. Somebody claimed to be a prophet of God, and it was proven that he wasn't. The death penalty 
was the price that he had to pay. Now, certainly, certainly, I'm not saying that we ought to impose the death penalty upon these people. That's not what I'm saying at all. Benny Hinn did and Paul Crouch did, but I'm not saying that. I'm simply trying to get you to see the gravity of the matter. That, you know, that shows the seriousness of this problem. That at that time in history that God would attach the death penalty to somebody pretending that they were speaking on his behalf, you know, when actually they wasn't. So we have to, we have to study the Word of God if we're going to find out what the truth is and we have to base our beliefs on what the Bible says. You know, it takes study to do that. We don't, we don't get the truth by osmosis, you know, just wanting to know the truth or even getting on your knees and praying, oh God, enlighten my mind and show me the truth. Well, it's kind of like somebody said, you know, if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Because God speaks to us through the Bible and we have to stand on the Word of God. You know, this... This argument of, of these additional revelations from God all boils down to this one thing, folks, and that's this. Is the Word of God complete in the 66 books of the Bible? Now, if the answer to that is yes, then the case is closed, right? If the answer is yes, the case is closed. There's no room for argument whatsoever and if if you claim it isn't, where's your proof? If these 66 books of the Bible are not God's final, full, complete revelation to man in this age that we live, where is your proof? In other words, what evidence do you have that God is continuing to give additional revelation? Let me tell you, you don't have any. You don't have any whatsoever. Quoting John MacArthur again, he said, quote, There's no way to protect the distinctiveness of the Bible if God is inspiring new revelation today, if the canon, and the canon for you kiddos, the canon has to do with the completeness of the Bible. It has to do with the perimeters of the books included in the Bible. He said, if that's still open, if God is still giving new prophecies, new songs, and new words of wisdom, we should be earnestly seeking to com complete and study these most recent revelations along with the Scripture, and maybe even more diligently since they speak precisely to our time and culture. You know, now think about that for a while. He's right. You know, if God's given additional revelations, why aren't we having, you know, in addition to our Bible study, why aren't we having revelation study? Studying those revelations. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, we do have the complete Word of God right here. The Bible teaches us in the first place we're instructed to search the Scripture for information. Uh, we wouldn't have to do that if God gave additional revelation. Think about that a little while. Why would we, as the Bible tells us to, search the Scriptures, those in Berea, 
searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true or not. But why would you do that? Why would you need to study? If we had the gift of prophecy, Brother, Brother Kenneth and I and you Sunday school teachers, we wouldn't need to study at all. All we would need to do is just get up here and uh, kind of like the old preacher down south said, you know, uh, he just gets up and whenever he starts to preach, says, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and nudge me when I've said enough. <laughs> really, there are those that make fun of people for studying. Oh, if God called you to preach, he'll tell you what to say. Really? Wow. To never have to study again? But the Bible tells us to study. In the second place, in the second place, we're warned about adding to or taking away from God's Word. Now, Revelation chapter 22, I'll read two verses and then we'll get to our little five-minute Bible study. Something like that. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take, shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that, and I'll save that for some other time because I'm sure that there's some questions dancing around in your mind, but I don't want to get sidetracked from what we're talking about. It's, 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 it's enough to say that God is saying, look, I've said all I need to say. This is the last book of the Bible. Don't you dare add anything to it. Don't you take anything away from it, or there are going to be serious consequences in doing that. Now, Jude, only one chapter, and verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, there are several key words in this verse, and if, for example, next week, whenever, Lord willing, whenever I talk about how to study the Bible, I'll talk about the fact that we have to, we have to look at the text. You've got to examine the text. What does the text say? Well, the text is here in verse number 3, right? But there's a context. And the context has to do with the verses before and the verses that are after. In other words, the whole... The, the whole situation as a whole. And, and so note, notice here what he's saying. He, he says, I, I gave all diligence. In other words, I was putting everything I had into writing to you. I was going to write to you about the common salvation. Now, I don't know how you take that, but I have take that to mean the common salvation. Uh, you know, I mean, this is basic truths that he was going to be writing to them about because they needed that. But he said, it was needful for me to write unto you. Wait a minute. Something has come up. Something has happened that changes 
his purpose in writing. And he says, instead of writing to you about this common salvation, it has become necessary that I write to you about something altogether different. And notice, and exhort you. You see, preaching is not just something for your mind. It is something that ought to, when received, ought to change our lives. And he says, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Now, notice the key phrases here. You could call this three points and no poem. And, you know, some sometimes we preachers think, you know, you got to have three points and a poem for every sermon, and that's... You know, that's well and good if it fits, but I don't think you ought to, you know, make that the standard by which you choose. But notice the key phrases here. First of all, he speaks about the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Boy, it's real easy for us to become contentious about a lot of different things. That word, you know, contend there it literally means to debate. Somebody said, well, I don't think you ought to discuss religion. You know, I, I don't think you ought to debate the issues and to talk about the differences in things that we believe. So, in other words, you think we ought to just let, let air just run roughshod over everybody, huh? Just sweep it under the rug and forget it and act like it doesn't exist. No, the Bible says we're to earnestly contend but but look, not just for the sake, it's not like one famous preacher said, and I was there when he said it, he was talking about growing a big church. He said, one of the ways that you do that is you get in a fight with something. He said, people will come to watch a fight. He said, you get up there and you preach against the movies and you preach against drinking. He said, whenever you, whenever you run out of things that you can't think of anything else to preach against, he said, you preach against Hershey bars and tell them them stinking old Hershey bars are rotting your kids' teeth out, you know. He was being facetious. I understood that. But it was absolutely ludicrous, I think, for him to even suggest that in order to reach the people in the community and to get them to come and listen to you preach, that you just get up and fight against something. There's enough to fight against without, you know, without trying to target our audience in that sense. But something that's worth fighting for is the faith. And it's important that we understand that you know, a lot of people confuse faith for the faith. When he talks about the faith in the Bible, let me read you a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 1, verse 23. This has to do with the body of truth that we believe. Earnestly contend for the faith. It has nothing to do with confidence. Faith as we think of faith in, in the personal sense. But the body of truth that we believe. Notice here in Galatians 1 and verse number 20 or 23, I believe it is. But they had heard only that which he, that, that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed. Of course, talking about Paul, how he had persecuted the church, but after he got saved, now he is defending the faith. Over in the book of 1 Timothy, we find another reference to this. And there, there are several different instances where 
The Bible uses that phrase, the faith, in regards to the body of truth that we believe. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Wow. Let me tell you, that gets right down to... What we're talking about here, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Folks, we have a responsibility to contend for the faith. Uh, I can remember years ago, and, 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 I, and I understand that there have been instances where I think it was misused and what have you, but it used to be common in every community, and it seemed like most all of the debates had to do with the Baptists debating the Church of Christ. I mean, that, that was, I, look, I've got books in my library containing those debates, O.L.S. Ballard and different ones, and they'd have a record of the whole debate and then publish a book about the debate, you see. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of who it is or what denomination it is, we need to earnestly contend for the faith, that body of truth that we believe the Bible teaches. But there's another key word here that you, I don't want you to miss. Notice, earnestly contend for the faith which was, here's the word, once delivered unto the saints. The Greek word there, translated once, means one time or a single time. Well, what do you know? You don't even have to be a Greek scholar to understand that once means once. I mean, it means one time, a single time, you see. It's speaking about something that is finished, and that word is used in reference to something that is finished, something that needs no repetition whatsoever. The body of truth that we have received, that is the very Word of God. Notice, it was once delivered. It's not like we get a delivery, a new delivery every day or two or every month or two or every year or two. It was once delivered. And I, that, that's the third key phrase or word here, delivered. Delivered. Not developed. You, know, you see, the things that we believe is not something that we developed over a period of time. It's a message, a body of truth that was delivered to us. You know, and by the way, whenever God delivers a message, we don't have any right to debate about whether the message is true or not. We don't have any right to revise it and to change it you know, well, now surely God didn't mean that. I can think of certain issues and there's certain things that, you know, that I take a stand on. There's certain things that I refuse to do. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you something. There are some things in the Bible that I, I do not fully understand. I cannot fully understand. But there are other parts of the Bible I, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt what the Bible says about it. So consequently, there are certain things I will not do, not just because it will violate my conscience, but I know it violates certain scriptures in the Bible. 
Am I making any sense? And look, if, if I cave in there, then it's just a matter of time until I have to cave in everywhere. Because if I can compromise one part of the Bible, then I can compromise any part of the Bible. But I don't have the right to go around revising what God said. The canon, look, the canon has been closed. It was once delivered. The 66 books of the Bible that we have. And by the way, we'll have an entire lesson on how the canon was developed and so forth. And we'll talk about how they come to the conclusion these are the books that are, you know, that are to be included in the Bible as a whole. Well, let me wrap it up. I can honestly say that God told me, I can honestly say that God told me from His Word that He didn't tell you anything apart from what He has revealed to everybody in His Word. I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. Because this is the Word of God and folks, look, if we refuse to accept that as our full, final authority to stand upon, it opens up to us up to all kinds of deception from Satan, and you better believe he's going to take advantage of that. So stand for the truth. Even when you don't understand everything about it, stand for the truth. Because you'll never be wrong doing that. Amen? Now, naturally, we ought to speak the truth in love, but we ought to speak the truth nevertheless. So I hope tonight something's been said that will, if nothing else, remind you of what a wonderful privilege we have of knowing that this blessed old book we have in our hand, that it's God speaking to us. And it's basically all He has to say for this age that we live in. One of these days, think about that, one of these days, boy, we'll see the big picture, we'll get the whole story. But until then, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith, just trusting what God has said. So, you be much in prayer as we continue to take several more weeks and we talk about different things. And next week, I, I'm, probably we'll have a, have a study on how, how do you study your Bible? I, I remember when I first got saved and then I surrendered to preach. And so naturally I started studying the Bible, but I, I didn't really know how to study the Bible. I, I just started reading it. And uh, uh, anyway, there's, there's a lot of things that could be said that I think will be helpful. And so that's where we're headed. Anybody have a comment or anything at all, Brother John? sort of a, you know, uh, you know, like I said this morning, if somebody's water pipes are broke, they need a plumber instead of somebody, 
uh, praying about it and what have you. And, this, uh, you know, the, I, to me, this is something that's necessary that we talk about these different issues and what have you because I, I want to tell you, this is the kind of stuff that usually never gets mentioned. We, I could spend the rest of my life preaching, you know, scriptural messages from the Bible and yet there are other, we talk about Baptist history, for example. Uh, we, we don't know what our history is. And uh, naturally not going to get into that, you know, in this, but we need to understand, you know, where we came from and why we believe what we believe and stuff like this. So there's got to be some time and place, and if Sunday night's not the right night to do it, well... Y'all come Monday night or something, we'll do it then. But but sometime we need to talk about it, and, and I think this is a good time. So let's all stand together. We're going to have a word of prayer and be dismissed. And uh...